listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I was once listening to Thich Nhat Hanh give a Dharma talk. And uh, he, he made the comment, your face is never more relaxed than it is during a slight smile. I just thought that was the coolest, coolest thing. The, uh, the face is never more relaxed, never more relaxed than it is during a soft smile. I don't have enough um, medical expertise to know if that's true or not, but the underpinnings behind that is so so beautiful that that ultimately is kind of this uh, kind of the core of what we do as uh, it's the core of the teaching. The core of this teaching is that kind of that relaxed participation in this experience of life. In other words, that we meet this life with total re- relaxation and then engage. We let go and then participate. And in doing this, there is a degree of surrender, which is exactly what a smile is. I mean, unless, of course, you're trying to be, you know, real charming. You know, you, you paint on a rather twisted and <laughs> or demonic smile, you know, or something like that. But just an actual smile is is ultimately uh, a precursor to laughter, and laughter is the embodiment of surrender. We know this best when we can recall the last great experience of knee-buckling giggles that we might have had. What brought that on? Whatever brings it on is invariably a teaching into the fine art of surrender. So if we can look at the core of what we're doing here as being a release and then engaging from that place of release or participating from that place of letting go. Or as my teacher used to say, meeting the world 100% with total relaxation. If we can do that, we are then um, embodying this experience in ways that can affect others. And there's nothing that has to be tried or pushed here at all. In fact, that would, that would kind of wreck it. Instead, what we're really looking at here is how it is we can live a life of depth, integrity, breadth, scope in ways that are 
loving, tender, yet filled with resolve and power. Not my power or my resolve or my tenderness, or my, but instead we actually let that universal quality kind of through us. What are you doing when you're in a space of complete and utter hysterics? You totally give in. You have no strength. To test this, next time you go to the gym and someone's lifting really heavy weight, start to tease them. Watch what happens. It's amazing. They have no strength. Thank you, Mark. I got one laugh on that one. That was a, that was, see, I was trying there, you see. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I did see that happen the other day. It was one of the scariest and funniest things I've seen in quite some time. These two young, um, divinely arrogant teen boys who were engaged in some incredible body sculpting. And one of them started to flick the ear of the other one as he was bench pressing. And I'm going, okay, this is, this is going to be funny. Something's going to happen. And the guy, you know, he started to laugh and the, you know, the, the weight started to tilt and everything. And then the guy that was spotting him, you know, kind of lifted it up and, you know, put it back on the rack. And the guy sprung off the bench and then started just, you know, giving him body shots and so forth. And I grew up in a house full of boys. This is very natural behavior for men. It's the way they show that they love each other. They punch until someone cries. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was, it was in, in that moment there where I was kind of like, oh, oh no, and, and also on the verge of cracking up because it reminded me of what my brothers and I used to do. It still was, he had nothing there. There was nothing he could do. He was getting flicked in the ear. He was cracking up. And there was, yet he was participating. He was participating. And when we can do that, when we can participate in the world from a place of surrender, we then quite literally walk a passage from what is old and unnecessary to what is perpetually new and enlightening. Our attitude shifts a little bit. Milan Kundera refers to it as the unbearable lightness of being. Where the simplest things can kind of inform us in ways that are quite amazing. teaching is let go and then participate from that from that spaciousness of surrender I was <clears throat> advised by someone uh, that uh, I thought this was kind of funny especially since in relationship to the spiritual marketplace 
everyone is always looking for you know some hook or something like that and i was i was uh asked by this this woman well so what's your um you know what's your core teaching can you put it in an acronym <laughs> um and I thought of all these acronyms, but they didn't spell anything. Kalib, <laughs> you know, zing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I kind of kept flirting with this idea and so forth. And so over the course of, um, I don't know, several days, I would be sitting there, you know, like eating my you know, steel-cut oatmeal, drinking coffee, or reading the paper, and I'd go, ah, you know, I'd start writing something down. And everything kind of kept pointing into this certain area. And it kind of came out to be, I, I really decided to kind of commit to it. You know, how is it that we could throw what we're doing at Infinite Smile, or what, you know, I'm doing as the, you know, the, the guy who sits on the cushion, what, what, you know, what are we doing? And I came up with the, this idea, or this image in my, in my mind, is that what we do is, as meditators at Infinite Smiles, we essentially go through uh, this life experience from a contracted space into an opening. But there's like this passage, there's a birthing, okay? That there is... Uh, uh, that, that what we endeavor to do is help each other and indeed by extension help the world to embody something that's bigger than what we've known. That we are in essence trying to consciously dance with the infinite. We go through this passage. Not only is it a rite of passage as we kind of steel ourselves to the rigors of meditation and being still even though we're you know we've got all this inertia going the other way but it's also a passage it's also a, it leads us into an opening so the word passage kind of kept kept coming up and lo and behold if it didn't fit perfectly so I'm gonna share it with you kind of how this how this kind of came out and then you get to give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. If you don't like it, we'll never talk about it again. I'll go back to Fahrenheit or something like that. But we start with presence. That no matter where we are on our spiritual path, we begin with a certain kind of, here I am. Here I am. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's somewhere in between. But there's a here I amness. Uh, there is a certain kind of, um, uh, if you will, uh, recognition that things are either not quite right or they are quite right. Either way, that we want to start participating in ways that maximize our growth and evolution. That there is presence that we carry into this experience called life. We become more aware. And there's nothing like a really good tragedy that can help us with that. Whenever, you know, the universe decides to truly kick our butts, 
that's usually this great opportunity to kind of have one of those uh, awakenings to presence, even if it's just tiny. It's like, okay, okay, all right, something needs to happen. But we begin there, typically, with presence. And doing that, and becoming deeply present with what it is that we are doing, or what it was that what it is that we're about, or what we think we're about, or what we're wrestling with, and we start developing a presence there, we also start seeing that there's no way around our accountability, that we are accountable for this life, that it's no one else's fault. One of my all-time favorite quotes that my eighth grade history teacher used to say, by the age of 35, Abraham Lincoln said, a man is responsible for the look on his own face. <laughs> what a great Dharma teaching. That we're accountable. That it's no one else's fault. Nothing is anyone else's fault. No one can take anything, push anything, peel anything away from us or put anything on us unless we give them permission. No one can make us feel less than, like we are lacking. No one can make us feel like we're too much unless we let them. And that letting, we start recognizing, my God, I let them make me feel guilty. That's where presence allows us to begin to reclaim a rather full accountability for who and what we are. From accountability, we usually start recognizing, oh my God, I've been doing this a while. My acquiescence to this kind of, you know, piling on is actually really selfish. I've defined an entire way of being through my lack of accountability. Now it's time to make an adjustment. And what supports this adjustment, what supports this shift is stillness. So we've had presence, we then had accountability. And now we're moving into this really, really interesting space of stillness. And stillness is this amazing support. Our meditation practice is this amazing support for this interplay between presence and accountability. It opens us. What stillness actually does is it unlocks whatever cage our minds and bodies have kind of conspired to put around us. When I say bodies, I mean really like our emotional, our feeling life, our feelings and our thoughts have kind of worked to kind of put us into a certain mold. And what the stillness does is it begins to shift that shape. We start recognizing, as I mentioned earlier, this, this idea of the smile. You know, it's this, this uh, uh, entree point to, uh, or entry into freedom. You know, humor, for instance, in Latin, for those of you keeping score at home, means uh, fluidity. 
Can we meet the, the great chaos of the cosmic, you know, thing with the giggle? In so doing, once we can, once we can kind of meet the cosmic giggle and let it reflect through us in the form of smile or laughter or my favorite, paralyzing laughter, okay, we can begin to tap into that energetic spaciousness through our meditation practice, through stillness. And once we begin to get a taste of that, there's a really obvious um, move that shows up. It, it's not even anything we really have to control, but it's, it's the next letter, so I'll, I'll share it with you. <laughs> and that is surrender. Once we begin to get really still, once we begin to, you know, engage in that contemplative prayer, or engage in zazen, or engage in, you know, our, we become a whirling dervish and actually begin to just allow for everything to kind of settle, this surrender begins to show up as this miraculous and mysterious blessing. We realize we don't have to hang on anymore to anything. That stuff is going to get taken. Stuff is going to arrive. Stuff is going to arise and cease. Always. And rather than trying to prevent that very natural expression of the universe, we get out of the way. We then begin to recognize, oh, hey, it's all icing. When we begin to surrender, we begin to recognize fundamentally that every moment is a present. I mean, it's such a great pun, but it's so true. The now is a present. On retreat this last weekend, I mentioned this, uh, 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 I call it the, the, uh, the last cookie effect, the final cookie effect. In my house growing up, the last chocolate chip cookie was by far the best chocolate chip cookie <laughs> for no other reason than it was the last chocolate chip cookie. And who knew when mom would be making more? Uh, but dang, man, what a, you, you, when you'd walk home, you know, you'd, you'd finish school and everything, and, and the typical response, hey, honey, how was your day? Fine. You know, and then boom, door closes or something. And then... You'd start recognizing, ah, magic has happened in this house. And great conversation would be fueled by, of course, sugar and chocolate, uh, you know, a cho sugar and chocolate high that would go on with that cookie. But uh, still, they'd last a few days. And it's usually on the, you know, day three or day four that you reach in and you're like, oh, oh, time to savor. <laughs> and that surrender to the fact that it's gone after this one, that surrender allowed for it to be something really special. And there was always this thing in me that was like, God, how come the first cookie couldn't be like, how come everything couldn't be like this? And then I, of course, was kind of ushered into this, this, whole, uh, this whole spiritual teaching and felt that, indeed, the last cookie is every cookie that everything is the last cookie. 
when we are at that point of surrender. What do we recognize in the surrender? We've got, we've got our, our presence, we've got our accountability, we've got our stillness, we've got our surrender. And what are we really surrendering to? What do we start recognizing? We start seeing that there's nothing lacking. We start seeing the all. A-L-L. All. We start seeing that I am a separate entity of agency. I am, indeed, different than that fire truck. I also vary from the tennis racket. And my best, my best pal. And this beer. I vary. I'm different. Okay? But... I am also utterly and completely connected with the subatomic spin that knits them all together. The all becomes deeply informative. There isn't anything that isn't a teacher. There isn't anything that isn't a teaching. There isn't anything that isn't part of this broader sangha. All of it, all of it, all of it arises within this awareness that I have. All of it arises within me, whatever that is. Once we start seeing that abundance, once we start plugging into the all, and the all starts firing through us, there is a very obvious move. Generosity. That we are here to give this stuff away. We are here to give totally. We are here indeed to be generous. What is Buddha? The Buddha is, according to Yunmin, an appropriate response. What is an appropriate response? One that's generous. The generosity indeed is actually the radical expression of awakening. Not generosity, I will give generously in order to feel better about myself, but giving completely, expecting absolutely nothing back from it. This becomes the all working through us. This becomes a moment when we are an instrument of God. And the minute we can consciously tap into this is the minute we can engage fully. We meet the world as a fully human being. And you can do it as an ascetic if you want, but I don't think it's necessary. You can do it as a celibate renunciate if you wish in a monastic community. I think that's fine. It's beautiful. But it's not necessary. It's just as important, if not more important, that we do it right here in the burbs. Just engage. Engage from a place of generosity. Engage from a place where there's a recognition of the all. Engage from a place 
of surrender that's informed by stillness where you're totally accountable in every bit of your engaged application of generosity stems from a deep abiding presence. You go through this passage as this passage continually. And in so doing, we become more human. We become more completely ourselves. The window dressing becomes much less important. And from here we can affect enormous change not only within ourselves, but again, by extension, through everyone that we meet. I guess I'm real interested in uh, where this kind of, what this, what this sparks in you in terms of uh, 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 questioning. Um, part of part of uh, this 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 formation or this passage is that it we begin to walk through it when we wonder if it's something we know and just apply it doesn't work and I say that because when we wonder we are actually uh, simultaneously engaging in the mystery, bringing our presence to it, and not clinging. We're surrendering. All sorts of aspects of this particular acronym are at play the minute we start to question. That's why I'm so, so big on the whole idea of questioning, not so I can give you some answer, because oftentimes, at least the way your faces look when I give you answers, people walk out of here like more baffled and <laughs> twisted than when they walked in. And, you know, it, part, of me, part of me is just, <laughs> and the other part of me is like, God, I wish I, could, <laughs> I wish I could totally help them to understand, but consider that word. What does understand mean? Under stand that there is foundation right and the gift of this is that it helps us navigate a an utter lack of foundation there's nothing to cling to there's nothing to teach there's no one to teach as mysterious and weird as that sounds it starts making sense when we begin to question deeply, continually. We get to walk through the passage. We begin to dissolve into that light that's at the end of the tunnel. And then come right back, right back into the world as that light, consciously. And then we tend to those hangnails that happen every once in a while. We're still part of the world. We still feel deeply. We laugh. We cry. We yell at the television when we watch sport. Just me, maybe. Okay, just me. <laughs> Yelling at the television. <laughs> anyway. Any questions? Yes, sir. I might have asked you this before. Yeah. I forget. Sure. 
That phrase, if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. Yes, if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. Or her. I'm sorry. Depending. Depending. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think that's so? Why do you think that's what, what does it mean? I'm just curious. Like, what does it what does it bring up for you? For years, I, Aside from a violation of the first precept, yeah. <laughs> don't kill for unless years, it's a Buddha, and then wipe it out. For years, I, I, I was afraid to ask the question. I had no idea what it meant. Mm -hmm. I think it, to me it means don't get hung up on the teacher. Yeah, big time. Don't attach to the teacher. Definitely. Now, I've spent the better part of the last four weeks getting really clear about why a, a teacher is important. Whether it's me or somebody else, the teacher is really, really, really important. But the teacher is important because a good one will actually get you to see that you are not separate from the teacher. So, if you see a Buddha on the path, you're seeing something outside of yourself and you're projecting there's enlightenment. I want to be like that. Which actually undoes the teaching. Which at a core level disrupts the passage, so to speak. Your, your passage into awakening. It seems to happen though, and has it become a cult? Where you just get so involved in the head matter one? Yeah. That you forget the teachings and just... Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's some it, it's really bizarre. There's there's some there's some real value to recognizing uh or in in my experience at least what was most valuable about working very very closely with the teacher was I started to lose my bearings on what it was that I did know and didn't know. And for me, a bloody horse, you know, somebody who I, I was absolutely stubborn, I was absolutely, you know, it was so helpful to have someone that I absolutely trusted be able to kind of say, you know what, pal, you don't know Jack. <laughs> and then realize, my God, he's right. For the first time in my life, this thing I always thought I had that was a gift has now become my, you know, my cross to bear. And I can't, I can't think my way out of this. And what was his response to that? A big fat smile. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You can't. <laughs> Are you ready?